Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, I'm Mayhem. Hello, I'm Chaos. And our happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. It loves a circle with no end. Happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Happiness is egg-shaped. Loves a circle with no end. Hello and welcome to the Happiness Is podcast with me, your host Bruce Aitchison from Happiness Is Egg-shaped. And today we are outside the box, which I think is the polite way to put it for today's guest. I'm not really sure how to describe him. Uh, I've watched from afar on TV. I've read the books. I'm a huge admirer. I don't think you can avoid taking inspiration from this man. You never know what he's going to come up with next. I can't imagine what it's like being in his family, being one of his close friends. I think you just agree and you support and you hope that it all goes well. I cannot wait to have this conversation. I am intrigued as to where it's going to go. I don't really know where to start, but I think we have to bring the man in. It's the one and the only Mr. Around the World from top to bottom, all over the place, Mark Beaumont. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. I I don't know where to start. When I put you into Google, it the first thing that just came up was cyclist. And I thought that's one of the biggest understatements there could possibly be. Well, I do ride a bike. I think if you were to ask somebody on Prince's Street, they would probably say I'm a cyclist. So uh, there's worth it. there's worse things to be known for. And cycling was a love from very, very early on. Is it the freedom of being on the bike and the open road? Yeah, for sure. No, I never came at, at sport adventure, all the stuff I've done as a professional, because I was trying to win races. I always did it because... 
of the joy it gave me of the wild man that wanted to explore of the the wanderlust and i think that probably came from being a homeschooled boy who never got to travel you know being um, being being on the farm gave me a great sense of freedom but it never allowed me to see the world until i was older than most and then i've tried to make up for it and being homeschooled and then going to school how did you find that were were you able to build relationships easily were you able to find kindred spirits in cycling and the interest that you had from being in homeschool no <laughs> no <laughs> i went to i went to i mean i know you normally talk to well you talk to all sorts of people bruce but uh you, you talk to a lot, of, a lot of rugby pals so i was um i was the same year at dundee high school as dickel alistair dickinson stephen gordon and some other really good players from that era and yeah. um i was not in that crowd i mean you know happy to be friends with these lads but when i started i was this homeschooled really quiet sort of socially inept kid who i i you know can you imagine you live in the middle of nowhere for the first 12 years of your life and your two friends are your sisters and every morning you've got 60 goats to milk you've got 13 ponies to muck out you've got 200 free-range hens to collect the eggs from and you spend an hour or two around the kitchen table doing your maths and your English and the rest of the time you're 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 on the farm we had the FAF which was the family army force and I think when I was about eight or nine we had to allow Cameron who was on the next door farming so we renamed it the friends army force and then you know, I remember getting a, a big pile of rocks outside the house and getting a chisel and um, a hammer and, uh, and and literally engraving on this almost like it was my tombstone, King Mark. I mean, I was I was Lord of my manor, Crowhill Farm, Bridge of Cali. But you then get plonked into Dundee High School, which is 30 miles away. And uh, that's a rough transition. My God, that was rough. I, I just didn't have a Scooby-Doo. I was... I mean, I, you know, I was perfectly happy, but I just had no idea. So can you imagine, you look, I look at my own daughters now who are age seven and four, and um, they're just so adaptable. They're so brilliant in different situations. They, they've got different friends from different backgrounds, and they've got such a rich sort of tapestry of culture around them. Whereas when you spend the first 12 years of your life in John Deere overalls and Wellington boots, and, you know... I turned up at high school. Everyone else had like cat shoes or kickers, and I had like brown hush puppies. Everyone had like rucksacks, and I had a briefcase. Everyone had a center parting, and I had a side parting. I mean, I just stuck out. And so, when you, <laughs> so I mean, I look back very fondly, but I had a bit of a rough ride at the start of high school. I just, I love that. But my nephew would be so jealous if I told him that that was your, like, that he would, that would be his utopia. You've just described his absolute utopia. Well, hush, pu hush puppies and a, and a, <laughs> and a side, and a side part. And, no, the, the, the bit of the run up to that. So when you were being homeschooled and on the farm, did you ever feel bored? No. No. Yeah. And I love that because you must have, you had that routine, but you must have. Well, we know you had a sense of adventure. I think what I think what homeschooling gave me, and you've only got a reference point for this when you grow up. And I now live in Edinburgh, in a city, and you know it's a very different lifestyle. Um, I had incredible freedom. I spent a huge amount of time on my own or with my sisters. 
you know, I didn't go to any sports clubs, so I wasn't being coached in a traditional sense. Um, I was a much better rider, like pony riding, horse riding until I was sort of 14, 15. That was my main sport because my mum was, you know, my mum was, um, you know, that was her passion, her love still is. And my dad was um, a dairyman, you know, he, he, you know, he went to, to agricultural college, worked in a dairy as an assistant. And eventually, you know, when, when we came around, he got his own farm and we had a goat dairy and we, we worked, you know, we, we absolutely grafted on the farm. So there was always chores to be done, uh, but it wasn't like, you know, child labor. It was just, it was just a farm to run. And when you, when you, when you're of that mindset and keep in mind, this is the late eighties, early nineties. And my parents tried to make a go of organics before that was sort of mainstream cool. or, or in, and, and it was on a pretty small scale. It was 60 acres. So I'm not sure, I'm not sure how viable it was as a, as a business, but it was a swallows and Amazon's existence. It was a, which is probably a, a reference that's lost on the younger viewers, but it's a, it was it was wonderful, and and put it put it this way, we didn't really watch telly. Um, we had a telly, but it was really put on. You know, maybe David Attenborough at the weekend, but that was about it, and a bit of Blue Peter, but but nothing. So my wife always takes the mick out of me for like not having all those cultural references that other thirty and forty year olds have. You know, are you, are you rubbish at a pub quiz? Oh, shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Well, apart from apart from geography, I can do geography. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll bet. Um, but but all that sort of nostalgia stuff. Um, I, I just didn't I didn't live a quote unquote normal existence in that in that period of my life. But I can make my own shoes out of rabbit skins. You know. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have seen that on your first day at Dundee High School. <laughs> Oh, for sure. I, I don't think my daughters, I mean, they can do, they can do a lot, but I don't think they can make their own shoes out of rabbit skins and, and, you know, from actually, you know, snaring the things to skinning them and, and, and making shoes. And I could do that as an eight year old. So, um, I don't know. But you, uh, so, you also mustn't, you mustn't have had any sort of jealousy because there wasn't internet and social media. So you weren't seeing what other people were doing. So I suppose you, that was your normal. I wasn't seeing anything. The big event twice a year was when my grandfather came up from Coventry and took us to Bridge of Cali Hotel for lunch. Uh, and, you know, that was two miles away. So, so no, I mean, that was a big deal. I, I, oh, and, and Saturday mornings, eventually, I went down to Aleth to go to art class in the morning because I love my art. So, you know, I did a few things. I, I, I went to music lessons, but that was Hillary that lived about half a mile away. So, I mean, th th that was my childhood. And... Um, so then when you get plonked into high school, about the same time, I read in the, the Courier, the Dundee Courier, about somebody, who knows who, I wish I knew, uh, who had cycled from uh, John O'Groats to Land's End, which is kind of the big box to tick as a, as a road cyclist in the UK. And I was inspired by the idea. I had no idea how far that was. I had no idea what it would entail. But um, I remember sort of going to the, the farm landy, getting the 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 old AA roadmap out the back and getting a highlighter pen and finding all the roads that joined um, the top of Scotland to the bottom of England and presenting it to my parents that that afternoon and and I remember my dad being a bit a bit um, dismissive I think he was more just pissed off that I'd put highlighter pen all over the roadmap and uh, and my uh, my mum's my mum said look why do you try something smaller first because you've not really cycled off the farm before and um, 
so it was a good point because it was a, it was a mile long farm track to get to the road and I'd never really you know cycled off the farm and um so I think I was 11 at the time and um so we 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 ended up so she didn't say no all credit to her she didn't say no because if she said no I probably would have long forgotten I'd ever had that idea but what I did instead was I recruited a, another neighbor and um we we cycled across Scotland so Dundee to Oban it took 3 days about about 45 miles a day local bike shop in Pitlochry lent us some mountain bikes and it wasn't just the ride that I loved although that was great fun you know wonderful at the age of 12 cycling across Scotland but it was the going door to door in my local towns uh, fundraising for some for some local charities um the whole planning phase I quite enjoyed um and it was just it was just and then afterwards you know getting to present some charity checks getting my name in the paper I mean you can imagine because I didn't have any of that sort of you know, normal social connections. This was just something which I was so proud about and so passionate about, and I got so much out of the whole project, not just the sport of it. And um, that just gave me the quiet confidence to then go and do something a bit bigger and a bit bigger and a bit bigger. But you've also got to put it into the wider context of going to school and having a rough time. So, you know, you get plonked into a school with 1,200 kids where if you can't play rugby, then you know you're you're not nice in the crowd. I think I. So if you if you if you're shocking at football on the playground at break and you're shocking at rugby in games, then what do you do? Well, my, I was that weird kid that rode ponies and went skiing and and um, especially the riding ponies bit. I was such a passionate horse rider and um, that wasn't cool. So I don't know. There was something about cycling which gave me a bit of an identity and a freedom. And it wasn't something I talked about much at school. But it was just something I was good at when I didn't really feel like I could find my thing at school. Also, keep in mind, if you've only ever done school around the kitchen table, to then go into a classroom between, you know, half eight and four or whatever was was quite boring, you know, really boring. I was used to, when, when I'd finished half an hour of maths, I'd go and chuck some hay bales around or go and, go and you know, catch a rabbit. So it was, or ride my pony. It was a bit weird, like sitting there and having to do chemistry for an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah, I can I can imagine. I love how that's what's weird when that's everybody else's normal, but that's <laughs> that's your weird. People cycle now, or a lot of people cycle now for fitness or for exercise because we're told that's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to exercise and be fit. It doesn't sound like that was ever on your agenda. Um, no. I think performance and record-breaking stuff came to me much later. I've always been known for these firsts and fastests. But if you look back to the early trips, um, it was the sheer want to explore. I mean, for, for, you know, it's absolutely about that fine balance of exploration and travel and also human performance, the physiology and the psychology. I mean, I, I'm fascinated in that, you know, the, the grit, the resolve, you know, where, where you, just figuring out your personal best. I think the thing that scares me more than anything else in a in a planet of over seven billion people is just being average, and that's not an ego sentence. Sentence that's uh, I, I don't want to just exist. You know, it scares the hell out of me. Um, and you know, I want each period of time to matter, and I want to and I want to create an impact with the people I care about. You know, my my family and my friends and my community. And for me, I just. I get scared if I do nothing, and I don't know how to better describe it than that. Uh, it's not a case of you know wanting you know fame for it particularly, although I really really enjoy having a platform to be able to share stories and hopefully inspire people to push themselves. But it's not 
that's not the fundamental reason. I would do this if nobody was watching because um, the idea of not figuring out what I can do, not pushing myself is, um, is something that scares me. And I can't, I'm, I struggle to find a better way of describing it than that. So your question, Bruce, about like fitness, we live in a world these days where we're inside 90% of the time. Some people weigh more than 90% of the time. And we sit in our arses most of our lives. Um, you know, we're either in our cars or behind our desks. It's not what we're meant to do as human beings. And so this idea of compartmentalizing fitness as something you do to, you know, so you sit on your turbo trainer or go on a treadmill, that might hit the functionality of getting your heart rate up and strengthening your muscles a bit. But it doesn't feed the soul. It doesn't. It doesn't give you memories. It doesn't. You know. It doesn't do the stuff that puts a big fat smile on your face. And um, you know, I do difficult things because I've got a child inside me that wants to just have mischief. And you know, people often say to me, "Why do you climb Monroe's in the middle of the night? You're meant to climb mountains because of the views." And I'm like because it's exciting. Nobody puts a gate up when they switch the lights off. Just, you know, just, you know, uh, some of the, some of the, some of the winter, the winter adventures I do in particular, people sort of say, well, you know, why do you do that? Because it's harder. And I'm like, I do it because it's harder. I, I do it because, and, and when I'm on, when I'm on those adventures, it's not about my heart rate or my, you know, I don't go, I go, oh, I've done my, done my 10,000 steps. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> now, now there's nothing wrong with that as a base as a baseline that's fine and you know and if you care about looking after your your health insurance policy and stuff fine you know those things are all fine so i'm not i'm not poo-pooing any of that culture but but what i'm saying is you know well-being should be about feeding the soul it should be about having adventures with your kids it should be scaring yourself a little bit it should be about pushing yourself so when you get to push it to the extremes like I do, you know, there's that there's still that wonder inside you in terms of like, I know I've got the versatility as an athlete to put myself into difficult situations, but it's very calculated. You know, I enjoy planning these things. And fitness and well-being is some of them. I want to live a long and healthy, happy life, but it's also about what I do with that time and making, you know, each period of time you know, just something that excites me, something that, you know, I can share with my with my kids. I would, I would love to take just that answer, take it to the Scottish Parliament, the UK Parliament, the UN. <laughs> I would like to take it to everybody and say, can you please just listen to this? I'm a teacher. I'm a parent. I'm a husband. I'm a coach. I, I, you know, like you, I wear lots of hats, but a lot of them are quite similar. And one of the things I talk to people about a lot I hate the focus on physical fitness because the focus on physical fitness has a never ending finish line. You can always be fitter or stronger or run further. If the focus was more on the, some of the things you mentioned there, I've written things down like making memories and feeds the soul. If you enjoy it, if you, we all have that kid inside us, but some people are very good at 
keeping it quiet. If we can have that kid inside us that likes to play, why do adults stop playing or, like you've said, scaring themselves or doing it because it's difficult? When was the last time adults climbed a tree? Why wouldn't you climb a tree? It was the most amazing thing when you were a kid. And the side effect of feeding the soul would be physical well-being and physical fitness if we dealt with the mental and emotional and feeding the soul is that something that you speak to people about consciously or do you just get it across with your passion and enthusiasm yeah there's there's um i think it's something i've spoken more and more about so i'm I'm 38 and um i maybe spent the first 15 years of my career just pushing myself and trying to tell good stories and make documentaries and write books. And, and um, it was very much about my team and our performance and what we were trying to do. And there was an evolution within that from proper wild man expeditions, unsupported through to fully supported, you know, where w- the stuff I've done in recent years is not just pipped records, but, you know, completely redefined the art of the possible, completely shifted the dial. And I'm incredibly proud of that and what what we've pulled off. But in the last couple of years, I've become more aware of that platform and that ability to good put out good information that helps other people, as opposed to just, you know, inspiration is um, quite transitory. You know, I can jump into an event and, you know, tell my stories and hopefully it'll make people smile and I can show some pretty pictures, but it doesn't really inform behaviors. And um, for me, I've put a conscious effort now and into the future on how do I actually sort of share that toolkit of information around, um, you know, the planning, the nutrition, the, you know, the, the, the physical prep, whatever else it is. And I think my story is quite relatable. You know, I've not been somebody who was being groomed as an Olympian from the age of four. I was a homeschooled kid who fell into adventure, loved other sports first, and then transitioned into cycling. You know, I was a professional skier. I was a, a very good uh, horse rider. And, and, and then I found cycling um, and other, other endurance sports. So I think my, my journey, okay, I've taken it to the extreme, is, is quite relatable. And I've put good people around me. I think that's important. You know, I've got the love and support of my my wife, my mum, my family as well, which is something I talk about a lot. Um, but it's only in recent years I've sort of thought, well, how can I use this sort of, how can I use sort of the story I've got since I was a 12-year-old kid to, to help? And I don't think it's always the specifics because what I do might not work for other people. People always say to me, oh, what saddle do you use? And I'm like, well, don't use my saddle. It works for me. It won't work for you. But I think what I can do if you boil it down is give people a quiet confidence. It's not an ego. It's a quiet confidence to push their abilities. And and as I said, inspiration is quite transitory. Whereas, whereas the what really pays off is the fact that we're creatures of habit. We're all creatures of habit. And it's, it's always easier to do less than more. And the more that you can build into your routine, you know, the more enjoyment you'll get out of these things. So, so the hard work element, like making, making habits out of stuff which are going to make you, you know, make these positive memories is, uh, is something, there's, there's something I, I always try and say to people because people get in touch with me every single day with their big ideas. 
you know, and I, I get some amazing stuff pitched to me. And I always say two things. I say, shoot for the stars, but learn your trade. So you can't just fall out of bed and climb Everest. You can't just fall out of bed and ride around the world. So, so if you want to climb Everest or cycle around the world, do it, but learn your trade. And in the, in the Instagram world, to, to know yourself well enough to be able to do these things rationally, people often put it back on me and say, would you let your kids do what you've done? And I say exactly the same thing. I say, well, they're not going to fall out of school at the age of 16, 17, 18 and be completely on their own without any toolkit to take on the world and go, I've got an idea and then fail at it. Now, they might fail along the way, but what's going to happen is we're going to have so many shared experiences over the next 10, 15 years that by the time they are big enough and bad enough to have these big audacious dreams of their own, whatever they might be, they don't have to be in sport, it could be anything. Um, it's not about me as a parent worrying or wondering because I know that they'll have that quiet confidence to back themselves to do these things. Um, and I think that's really, really important. I never worry about people sort of taking on their biggest dreams. I do worry about them um, just looking at the outcome like the, the results and trying to replicate that without understanding what people say to me all the time, Mark, I, 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 I'd love to do what you do. And I always say to them, I, I think you like the idea of what I do. Yeah. I think, I think you like the, the edited teleprogram. And yeah, that's, again, that's, that's again, that's, again, that's not, that's not an ego statement, but you know, the, the round the world in 80 days was 1,200 hours of time trialing 1,200 hours on your own, in your own head, time trialing. You don't get more than five hours sleep for two and a half months. You're on the bike for 16 hours every single day. Now, you know, you might like the Guinness World Record on the wall, but do you actually want to do that without 25 years of experience to build up to it? So I think that's the honesty in it. And that's you're you're absolutely right. The when, especially when you watch the program, because although they show the tough moments, they're over in ninety seconds, and I'm not the one experiencing it. You're the one who had the build up to that little clip that you've shown, and then it seems like you just got back on the bike and everything was okay again. But we've not seen the lag, so I think you're absolutely right. The the bit I love about the cycling across scotland and you loved the planning bit to that now i didn't realize that there was a charity element to that very early stage so what what was the drive was it the cycle across scotland or was it or or was it just a mixture of all those bits i i definitely wanted to just go on an adventure i i had 
I, I, my mum in particular has always, you know, supported, even though neither of my parents come from an athletic background. Uh, well, I guess, I guess my mum was passionate about horse riding, but ne never really competitively. Um, the, the charity community element, I never really stopped to think about it, to be honest. Uh, it came out of the family interests. So the, the charities for that very first cycle when I was 12 was the ILPH, was the International League for the Protection of Horses. So I cycled across Scotland and then bought a, a horse trailer for rescue ponies. Um, I remember as a 12-year-old handing over a horse trailer to this. <laughs> 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 it was really funny. I had my name on it, which was great. I couldn't tow it. I couldn't drive it. But... <laughs> and then, um, and then, a, a, and then a charity check to um, to the save the children. Um, I wanted to have a local charity and a and a national charity, an international charity, I should say. And I actually, now you've asked a good question there because I've never really thought about it. I've always tried to have a local and an international. So I always think of spheres of influence. My spheres of influence are family, community, work. Those are the things I care about. So it's just about allocating time. Um, and, and if you plan around those things, um, community is community close to home, Edinburgh, Scotland, and internationally. And, and Bruce, we've been involved in some stuff which sort of you know ties in nicely with that, you know, like Doddy Aid and others, where I'm trying to constantly think for each period of time, how do you, how do you get arrows going out into the world? It, because... This is not actually about sort of charity in a giving sense because you do these things because it makes it makes you, it's hugely fulfilling to yourself. When you're a kid, you like get given pre given presents, but actually, as an adult, it's much nicer to give a present than to receive a yeah. present. And there's something yeah. in the psychology of that which I think is about mental health and happiness. And um, you know, whenever you're in a flat spin and you're having a bad day and things all seem a bit a bit difficult, the the best way to hit equi equilibrium again rather than sort of the arrows going this way is to do something to get the arrows going that way again and then suddenly sort of the world seems like a different place so that's definitely something my mum shared with me early on and those charitable elements were always a part of it and there's always been that community uh, part um the only times there weren't were some of the bbc projects where because of their rights you you unless it's um children in need or sports relief you literally can't have uh, charitable elements but I sort of thought during those projects well I'll use the platform of having BBC documentaries to then be able to do more for the causes I care about so so the community elements has always has always been there since I was a 12 year old kid and also there was such a buzz you know when I was um 12 years old handing over a charity check to Princess Royal who's I think she's the patron for Scottish rugby yeah and um she's timeless isn't she she's not i mean i'm now 38 I, I i've met her half a dozen times she has not changed since i was a 12 year old kid she is a she is a phenomenal person and she is such a grafter and i you know every time i meet her she's just such a consummate professional say what you will about the royals but that level of professionalism and 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 community support is just amazing and i remember meeting her when i was a 12 year old kid and she was just so interested and um yeah i was blown away that's it's amazing now you then did john O'Groats to land's end were you 15 were you really 15 when you did that yeah so that was my first solo ride so uh, i went from top to bottom and uh those miles john O'Groats land's end and um took a couple of weeks i had mum and dad in the peugeot 405 estate do you remember that thing uh <laughs> 
and uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was. Uh, I was going was... to ask what your support team was for that at fifteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, it was. It was uh, I was quite into the Tour de France at that time, so I was. Um, any cyclist listening to this, my hero at that time was Mario Cipollini, uh, the the Italian rider. He used to ride with no helmet on. Often in training, you'd not wear a shirt, a jersey, just bare chested and this long lock of hair. He's like a lion. He was like he was like a demigod. And um, anyway, he t- he rode for a team called Seiko Estro with this bright red jersey when he wore a jersey. And um, and so I, I in in homage when I was fifteen, I rode you know John O'Groats to Land's End in my Seiko Seiko racing kit and. Um, it was great. I absolutely loved that journey. I mean, it was a nightmare as well. A lot went right, a lot went wrong, but it was such a formative experience. And I think by the by that age, fifteen, I was just starting to find my feet at school. You know, I'd built a good uh, a good group of mates, and um, yeah, it was it was definitely something which you can start to see. I was quite good at school, and my passion, my thing, I'd loved most was art. But because I was academically um, doing well my teachers pushed me into you know subjects where I could do 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 a you know do a you know go to university so so if I'd had my way I would have gone to art school and done something creative um and then second half of high school that big expedition and then other stuff I was doing around the time especially around skiing um because that was my main sport at the time I had this these two paths going on you know, I was quite academic and I was being pushed into pushed into a career, uh, but I had this adventure bug, this wanderlust, this want to go and explore. So again, thankfully, my parents gave me a bit of freedom. And when I left school, I went and I was a ski instructor by that point. I lived in Italy and and um, lived in lived in France, worked on farms, cycled home, you know, crisscrossed Europe on a bicycle, um, came back to Glasgow Uni, had four fantastic years there. The wonderful thing about university and post school is you do get to sort of hit reset. You know, you're no longer defined by that peer group that saw you as a, a you know a homeschooled um, kid, and then and then at, at the end. So fast forwards to 22, 21, 22. That's when the real crossroads came. That was okay. Uh, I'm still really being fast tracked into a finance career because you know I'd, I'd aced it through school. I did all right at university, but I spent way too much time in the union, and um, and I spent most of my time running the sports association. So, like you know, my passion was 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 GUSA, Glasgow University Sports Association, and um, you know I helped run that for 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 a number of years. And this crossroads came on, and I, and the best thing I ever did was went to America for an internship. I got sent over to Boston for a summer, and I got taken out of that peer group because everyone at that point is doing the milk round, is is talking about which accountancy firm they're going to go and work for, and you know I was in a class of three hundred at university, and basically everyone was talking about four jobs out there, um, and they were all the same graduate. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that, but I just didn't have any context to what else you could do. And I remember going to Boston for a summer, working in a, a big insurance company over there. And on one Friday afternoon, um, the vice president of the company got everyone together and um, gave a, a little resounding speech for Billy Bob or whatever his name was that was leaving and um, presented him with a carriage clock. And that was him heading off happily into his retirement. And, you know, it was a 10 minute end of the day on Friday. And then there he goes. He's retired. He's done his 45 years. And I, I sort of witnessed this as a 21, 22-year-old. 
And, you know, I'm sure that chap had a very fulfilling, interesting career, but it scared the shit out of me. Yeah. I, um, I think because of where I was in my life and my passion for sport and travel and adventure, I just think it was a bit like this summer that I've spent in this corporate office doing this. If this was the next 45 years of my life, um, I'm not sure that's what I want. And I went back to university and there's something really, really powerful in life in not just knowing what you want to do, but knowing what you don't want to do. And I think people get scared because they don't know what they want to do. But that's okay. Um, get stuck into doing something. Make a habit. Make a make a habit of um, make a habit of you know getting stuck into whatever's in front of you, and then um, you know you'll figure out. I've never had a five year plan. I've never. I've... I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over seventy percent of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Never set out going. I'm going to be that guy. Um, I, I just, I just sort of, I had crossroads in my life where I was like, "Well, oh, I don't want to do that." Oh, I thought I wanted to do that. Oh, I definitely don't want to do that. But I learned from all those things, and then, you know, I came back and I'd had a very solid girlfriend throughout university. Uh, amazing girl who I thought we were set for life. You know, I'd been with her for four four years at university, and I came back and I basically said. I'm not going to be an accountant. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take another year out after university. Well, you've already had a gap here. I'm going to take another year out and I'm going to cycle around the world. And um, that relationship ended a few weeks later and off I went to cycle around the world. <laughs> I, again, so much in that that I absolutely love and being a teacher and somebody who has had roles and responsibilities in profession of helping kids make decisions doing the thing that's right in front of you really really well and then see what happens next is you've not had a five-year plan and there's stories of those people who are successful who had the plan and they went through the steps and they achieved what they wanted to you've achieved a huge amount by just doing the next thing really really well is that the kind of message that you give to businesses when you speak to them and you get is to take care of the the task in hand yeah 100 percent hundred percent because we live in an imperfect world with imperfect information you just don't know nobody is omniscient nobody nobody can tell the future you know look at the last year my god if if we knew the future we'd do things differently so the best you can do is focus i mean use the metaphor ride the road in front of you ride the road in front of you you can't actually cycle around the world but you can ride the road in front of you yeah you need to you need to plan in the sense of know your skill set, have a strategy, but strategy is not the same as a plan. So a strategy is knowing what it takes, knowing what the sort of the macro view 
is in terms of what are the skill sets we need and what are the basic inputs to the plan. Like that is a strategy. That's not a plan. Plans are rubbish because plans, <laughs> because what plans do is they fix you in a mindset in a world where you don't know a lot of what you need to figure out as you go. So the so I sort of build strategies with my team and I resource these these strategies. I get the right people who I think have got the right skill set. And then I say, right, this is the intent. This is what we're trying to do. Now go do and use your initiative, use your creativity, use your your own. And, and that builds accountability. That builds a sense of I'm not being told what to do. I'm not being micromanaged. I'm not being, um, you know, there's no, there's, there's absolute responsibility to, 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 to pivot, to create, to communicate, and all those things. I work with a, a number of interesting organizations, and this idea of building teams, whether it's sport or in business, as if we're, you know, like a Victorian steam engine. You know, we're not cogs. We're not, you know, this is not the industrial revolution where we're building machines. This is a fluid, dynamic world with people who are imperfect and there's imperfect information. So have a strategy, have an intention, and then go do. And what you end up creating is a lot more trust and, and, and a lot more urgency. And you cut all that faff and noise and nonsense that comes with a lot of organizations. I've, I've got just a ridiculous smile on my face because every every answer you're giving is just knocking me off my feet here because I, I would love you to speak to parents because parents quite often want a plan and they want their kids to know that that's where you're going. Now in schools, and I have to be very careful with what I say here, a lot of what we learn in school is irrelevant. It, it's it's a bit like that misinformation you're talking about. The bit that we learn is some of the things you've mentioned there, communication, trust, go do your job, so take responsibility. It's those skills rather than knowledge that are important. There's no way you could have predicted at 12 going to Dundee High in your briefcase side parting and, and hush puppies that you'd be sitting where you are just now having done the things you've done. That's it, it's an impossible plan and, and you couldn't have seen that in the future. But you found passions and you've been supported and you've no doubt made mistakes, although we don't see many of them on the TV or read about them in the books, but you've you've made mistakes and you've then been able to achieve and people have bought into you because you've bought into yourself. And is there anything along the way where you've thought, actually, it it's time to settle down or it's time to fit in a box? Have you ever had those dark moments? Yeah, we're 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 all human, and we're all sort of riddled with the same insecurities. Um, it's impossible to not be aware and influenced by your peer group, by your community, and so even even moving from the countryside into Edinburgh, and then having more reference points for what people's careers are. I, I'm constantly aware and constantly talking to my wife about trying to keep that independence of mind, and you know. It's 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 very very hard. Nobody is an island. We are all we're all wonderfully interconnected, and there's all that important stuff about you know you're the 
the average of the five people you say, spend most time with and all that good stuff. But, but, but also the wider influences on your life are impossible to fathom. You know, we don't understand our own brains well enough to, to really understand our own influences. And it's not just about influences in terms of those triggers and reference points for success or whatever we're talking about. You know, we could be talking about our emotions. We could be talking about our nutrition. You know, we're only just starting to understand, you know, the microbiome and what our gut does and how that affects our, our, our psychology. And, you know, there's, we're, we're living in very interesting times. So to, to suggest we're in charge, we're in control of our own, you know, destiny and, you know, we're completely sort of predictable, driven and um, rational beings is, is clearly nonsense. Um, we're, we're, what, what we are is we're creatures of habit who get knocked between pillar and post, um, make incredibly emotional decisions all the time based on the last meal we've had and how well hydrated we are. And it's just worth remembering that because otherwise you end up sort of putting yourself on a pedestal and thinking, I mean, it's human nature to justify your own decisions. We'd go nuts if we couldn't live with ourselves. So I think that's also worth remembering as well. So you never do better than what you set out to do. And you always rationalize your results, even if they're mistakes, you know, you, you, you somehow build a framework around it so you can live with that. So you might learn from it but you also contextualize it in a way that makes sense to you. So that's that's really interesting conversation with young people and, and, and to be fair, all people, because it's um, it's not objective. Uh, you know, that sort of that sort of subjectivity about our own how how you remember this conversation, Bruce, is very, will be different than, than the way I remember it. <laughs> And I hope they're both positive, Mark. No, but, but, you know, but, but, but you know what I'm getting at. And then, yeah, and, then yeah, so, yeah. and then somebody listening to it will have a third opinion on how it went. Somebody went, oh, that was a shocker. What a waste of an hour. Whereas somebody else went, my God, that really, that really reminded me of some stuff that I'd long forgotten and you know, made sense in my world. So we don't, we don't live in a world of absolutes. And I think it's really, really worth remembering that nothing is binary. You know, we all sort of justify where we end up. And and your original question about sort of influence and have I had moments in my life where I thought, oh, I need to conform or whatever that means. I I, I don't I don't feel like I've lived the life of a rebel. I'm not a, an adrenaline junkie. I've I've had big ideas and I feel like I've had a life of startups. I've had to build finance, build teams, get people to buy into some big audacious dream and then I've done it and then I've created the next one. But, um, you know, there's definitely moments in my career where I've thought, Oh, I thought I was going to do that and I'm not. And again, referring back to what everything I've talked about in the last five minutes, I've justified it for right or wrong. Let me give you an example. I cycled around the world the first time when I was, um, 2007, 2008, took half a year, hundred miles a day. And what really bugged me when I came back from cycling around the world was it didn't feel like I'd cycled all the way around the world because I'd only done the 18,000 miles on the land. And to do a full circumnavigation, the, the, the equator is 24,901 miles. So you've got to do the oceans as well. So I then said to the BBC, oh, I'm going to now go and row the oceans um, so I can join the dots and do a full circumnavigation. That was my motivation. And the BBC said, we've got no interest in filming you rowing the oceans because that's very, very boring 
And, uh, and I sort of went, well, what do, you, what do you mean? And they said, well, when you're, even though you think cycling around the world is about your record, it's actually about the cultures, the people, the places. And it's as much about what happens off the bike as on the bike. Whereas when you're rowing an ocean, it's all about that. It's all about the psychology. I mean, look, looking that way, it's big waves and little waves. So um, I said, okay, fine, but I'm off to do it anyway because um, I'm not doing this for telly. I'm doing it because it's what I want to do. And they said, uh, fine. So I went off to try and do that. And we uh, tra trained for the North Atlantic um, crossing from Falmouth to New York. And then there was an accident with the boat and that, ex that expedition was, was canceled. So I phoned up the BBC and I said, oh, my plans, this was the year after the world first time around. My plans for the Atlantic are out the window for the year. And they said, great, would you please get back on your bike? Which is what they'd been asking me to do all along. So 10 weeks later, I was in Alaska starting a nine month expedition down to Tierra del Fuego. So that America's expedition, which became a big BBC One documentary series, was not my plan. And I was still committed to this full circumnavigation. So as soon as that was over, nine months later, I got back to, to trying to figure out how to join the dots and cross the oceans. And I went on to row through the high Arctic and tried to row across the Atlantic and break the, the, the Africa to Caribbean record. And then 28 days in, had a capsize and spent 14 hours in my boxer, short, boxer shorts trying to get rescued. And when I came, when I came home from that trip, it, so keep in mind, I'd been utterly obsessed for years and years and years now about this complete circumnavigation. I always thought I'll have failed if I don't take that on. How fast can you get around the world completely under your own steam? And that was my entire obsession for most of my 20s. And after capsizing and nearly dying in the Atlantic, I drew a line under it and I said, I'm not doing that. But you know what? In the middle of the Atlantic, giving up on that dream, which is a huge turning point, it didn't feel like failure. It felt like unbelievable relief. It, what a heartfelt relief to have been obsessed and driven by one goal for, you know, seven, eight, nine years. And then for very rational reasons to go, do you know what? It's a great dream, but it's not mine anymore. And I, and I left it out there. I, I just came home. I got married eight weeks later, which was not an e-jerk reaction to nearly dying, but that happened straight <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And I've been playing it safe ever since. No, that's not true. <laughs> uh, when, when did you stop being Mark Beaumont, who likes to go and do stuff, to Mark Beaumont, the, the business and the employer and who other people rely on for what's going on and, and almost become a business? Um, ugh, that's a hard question. I made a lot of mistakes in my 20s, my early 20s, I would say, in business, because I went from pulling pints in a bar in Glasgow, earning minimum wage for years, to then going around the world, getting a BBC documentary, and then immediately getting offered a book deal, talk tours, the rest of it. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. And I'm not saying it's always been an easy ride, but I got thrown into the limelight very quickly after that success. And, you know, when... Do you remember those old orange mobile phone adverts that you see on the cinema? You know, when, when those guys, I mean, I can tell you this because it's ancient history now. When those guys, when they, I don't think they exist anymore. When those guys got in touch, I was like 23 years old and I just signed a book deal. Now, keep in mind, the only job you've ever had, apart from being a ski instructor, was pulling pints in a bar at like £4.50 an hour. And then orange mobile phone get in touch and say, can we do a cinema advert with you? And we're going to pay you. 20 grand 
And uh, and I was like, how many days works that? And they were like, one and a half. And I was like, Ooh. <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, so I said, I said, make it forty. I said, make it forty, and I'll do it. And they said, fine. And I was like, oh. <laughs> oh. okay. That, that sounds like you're a pretty good businessman. <laughs> and, and, and so. Oh, it's funny because I went on that. I went on the, my first date with with Nikki, my wife, and I honestly didn't plan this. But I went up. To, I went into the cinema at the top of uh, Leith Walk, sat down, and the second advert on was the, was my orange mobile phone advert. And and Nikki's not impressed by those sorts of things. She was just like, "You idiot." <laughs> <laughs> but. But I got thrown into like quite a lot of success in my first couple of years, but then made a lot of mistakes, you know, tax planning, business planning. You know, I, I was just a, a bit of a mess for the first 18 months, two years, but that's because it all happened a bit fast. And then I was back out on expedition for, you know, the best part of a year and lots of stuff happened in my early mid twenties. Um, but I had some very good sponsors, the likes of Artemis and LDC and, um, I learned a lot from those businesses. I got brought into the businesses doing origination for, for deals. I was always very interested in finance. And um, I also felt like all the projects I was doing were kind of startups in themselves. I said before, you know, I was always fundraising and trying to build partnerships and networks. And there's a lot of athletes that never get to do that side of it because it's sort of given to them in a club structure. Um, so they're very good at their sport, but actually how the business of sport runs is not their concern. Whereas actually, whilst it was a real drag at times having to raise the money, build the TV deals, you know, recruit the team, it's an amazing skill set to then have, you know, when you're trying to figure out what's next. And, you know, as the years have gone on, I've, I've got to work with some really interesting businesses. Uh, and I've now got a small portfolio of non-exec uh, roles. And I'm normally advising on early stage fast growth businesses and just trying to cut the noise build the intensity, build the cadence. And I've got, um, I'm also now a partner in, a, in an early stage uh, investment fund and we're backing Scottish innovation. So science, engineering and technology, but only businesses that are trying to tackle some of the big challenges. So food and water security, healthcare, um, climate change, you know, the world's oceans, trying to, trying, to, trying to figure out the big questions of the day. And Scotland is such a, a hotbed for innovation and it always has been but there's not always the capital to support these ideas and it's not just about money although you need to be able to 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 sort out the, the funding it's about actually how do you make connections for these businesses into global markets because i think scotland's got such a such an important part to play as it always has but this is not where the market is we're a tiny country stuck out here in the North Atlantic and um, making these businesses global and relevant and, you know, something I can, I've, I've been furiously ambitious in the last 15, 20 years. And I plan for the next 15, 20 years to be equally furiously and ambitious, but I don't want to be just a guy on the circuit singing for my supper, talking about how I once cycled around the world twice. Um, you know, I want to go out there and, have something I can share with my kids and say, look, I've helped build an ecosystem of businesses that are, are making the world a better place. That would be worth working for and getting up early for. So yeah, I think it's the same process. 
It's absolutely stunning, Mark. Absolutely stunning. It doesn't take long on a Google search or on, on your own website to look at, uh, alongside that business stuff, Rector of Dundee Uni, Honorary Doctor, your patron, your ambassador, your president of a whole raft of stuff. How do people get their, you know, I'm stealing an hour and a bit of your time. How do people get their little bit of Mark Beaumont and you've still got time to be a dad and a husband and a son and go for a pint yourself? How Do you have more than 24 hours in your day? How does this work? <laughs> I, can't, I can't wait till when we can go back to having a pint. That will be, <laughs> that will be something we can all look forward to. Um, life's busy, but... Um, I mean, in, in simple terms, I, I, I'm still an athlete and a broadcaster, but it's probably 10% of my life. 20% um, of my time is given to these non-exec roles, advisory roles, businesses that really, really excite me and are really interesting. And, um, and then a good chunk of my time is given to this um to EOS advisory, which is the, the early stage investing. I, I'm really, you know, I'm a proud Scot even though I was born in Swindon, but don't tell anyone. I think I was born in the same hospital as Jim Hamilton, but about four, day, four days later, we're both from Swindon, but we don't talk about it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, so like in terms of my time, and this is the honest truth, I've had to get very good at saying no. And, and, I, and I'm being honest here. I mean, I love when people say, oh, just get in touch, drop me an email, I'll, I'll say yes. You know, the yes tribe and this idea of always saying yes to people you've got to be focused on what you want to create impact in. You've got to be focused on the stuff which is really going to shift the dial. So sadly, I spend a lot of my time saying I can't help. Um, I always reply to people on social media. I always give people a response. But beyond, like, and so, for example, people ask me every single day for shout outs on social media. If I did that, my entire feed would be other people's stuff, which would just annoy people. So what I do instead is I always send them video messages to support for their channels. So I've got, I've got sort of strategies to be able to still support and impact people without having, without sort of taking away from, from what I'm doing and with my business. Um, but when people then say, look, can I have more of your time or have a call or have a follow-up? Being selfish, it's got to be something which works with what I'm trying to do as well. And I know that might sound a bit harsh, Bruce, but um, I spent a lot of my time trying to split myself way too many ways. And I was involved in way too many charities and pro bono work. And I felt like I'm just a face. I'm just, I'm just a name that they can use, but I'm not actually doing anything. I'm not actually creating an impact. And I, I got to a point a couple of years ago where I was spending my time working for other people's kids and I wasn't seeing my own kids. And I felt like such an idiot. And I thought, well, you know, charity and community has always been at the heart of what I've done since I was a 12-year-old kid. But actually, you know, my kids are at an age where they need more of me. And there's been some great silver linings over the last year being at home more. Um, and uh, I'm very, very selective about the projects I take on because, you know, time is the scarcest commodity. Does your mum ever say to you, see, homeschooling was, was the thing? <laughs> that was the seed that, that lit this thing bloom? My uh, my mum is a real free spirit. She's fantastic. And um, no, she doesn't. But the dynamic with mum is an interesting one because I, I employed my mum I worked with her for over 10 years. Um, so when I set up the business in my 20s, she then worked with me until 
about a year, year and a half ago. She still, she still helps out every so often. So it was strange because we went from mum being mum and being homeschooled by mum to then mum being my colleague and she became Yuna. So it really annoyed my kids and my sisters and my, um, my wife because it wasn't mum at all or granny, it was just Yuna, my colleague. Um, but isn't that wonderful? I, I can't imagine the day when Harriet, my daughter, employs me. I can't imagine that. Like that would be, I know you've got kids as well. Can you imagine your kids employing you? And don't, don't get me wrong, I would never actually, that wasn't the dynamic. Like I, even though mom worked with me, we were colleagues. I was never, I was never her boss. That it couldn't be that way when it's your, when it's your, but ultimately they are my projects and she's, she's worked selflessly to support my career as a mom, but then professionally as well. Um, which I think is wonderful. And I think the be one of her, you know, superpowers, which is a, a real thing for a parent, is to be able to take her parent hat off. She has never, when she's working with me, said, son, I don't want you to do that. Even when I was climbing some of the world's highest mountains, going through the Arctic, rowing the, rowing the ocean, cycling around the world, pushing myself to these extremes, she's never, she's just the consummate professional. Her ability to just say, okay, I, I trust you've got a life experience and a skill set that I don't have, go do and I'll support you. I think that must be hard as a parent. And one, one of my mother's catchphrases is give them roots and give them wings. Yeah. Is that something your mum is, is, is that what it's like? It sounds, you've obviously still got a very close relationship to mum, but I mean, you have wings and wheels and all sorts of things. I, I, it's funny because mum's never pushed me into anything. So it's not like she ever sort of, you know, took me to a club and said, right, this is your path and you need to learn some, learn some manners. It was, it was just complete freedom and life on the farm as a kid, it was pretty unstructured. Um, so she's always, I think her superpower, you know, your mum was like, you know, give them roots and give them wings is just not to say no. She's sort of giant, gently guided my ambitions, you know, like saying, well, you're, you're 11, 12, maybe you shouldn't do a thousand miles yet. Um, but she's always sort of, I, I think that's really important. The acorns of ideas that I had as a kid, if they had been squashed by my parents, then I wouldn't be here as a 38 year old, yeah. you know, having led the life I've led. So it's not like my mom planned any of this. She didn't have any interest in in expeditions or cycling or record breaking that's that's not her her background at all but she's one horizon once you once you achieve at something or take on something then you can see wh what the next horizon looks like and life is too long and you know too i think i think that idea of having having a being able to support your kids into what they're going to become it goes back to the point you were making half an hour ago bruce about just get furiously busy about what's in front of you you know just make a success of what you're doing and um i think people often get hung up on that sort of i always joke about the doorstep mile like how hard it is to get started at stuff like once you're once you're doing and you've committed to it it's okay but it's the it's the getting started that's the hard thing so i think my mum and maybe it was the, the work ethic on the farm, you know, was very, very good at sort of just getting us started on stuff. It's very hard to get out of bed in the morning, 
But once you're in a habit of going, well, it's not an emotional decision. I have to do it because, you know, what it gives me. So, so I, I've got a busy day today and I moved house on Monday. So I, I know, I knew I couldn't fit my train. I've still got, to, I've got busy work and stuff, but I've still got to train 15 hours a week because otherwise I won't be on my A game when I, you know, have the big events. So I knew the only time I could train today was from quarter past five to quarter past seven because I'm speaking to you at half past eight and then I'm off for a photo shoot with the police. That's a different story. Um, <laughs> Just turn uh, to the side, please, Mr. Moore. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, when I when I finished unpacking boxes at 11 o'clock last night, did I want to get up at five o'clock this morning and sit on the turbo for two hours? Of course I didn't. But, you know, it's now half past nine. You know, I'm ready for a coffee for sure. But it's given me a sense of purpose and, and meaning to the day as opposed to the regret and the anxiety of now thinking, how am I going to do that? Well, I knew I couldn't do it any other way. And, and I think if you've got that process about all of your life, you don't, you don't run around feeling like you're trying to, you know, catch your own tail and catch up on life. I, I, I love that. And I think it's a show for another day. I'm, I'm intrigued as to how conscious your mum was, but maybe I need to get her on here to ask yeah. about the language she used it because we can crush those acorns that you mentioned very easily without being conscious of it. Um, I was talking to somebody very recently about every single kid thinks they can sing, but something happens when that language of, oh, I can't sing. So we crush that and it's, I hear it all the time. I'm not a sporty person. I'm not a maths person. I'm not a music person. But where did that, where did that come from? That's not language of a kid. That's language of an adult projecting something onto a kid, which then becomes that kid's identity. But you seem like, not that you were never told no, but you were always encouraged to follow that path or that road or that ride or hmm. the passion that was under your nose. I think I think at the heart of that is we don't live in a meritocracy. So you don't actually need to be the best at stuff. Like I'm six foot three and ninety kilos. I'm not the best bike rider in Edinburgh. I'm not even the best <laughs> bike rider in Trinity in Edinburgh. Honestly, there's better bike riders within a couple of streets of me here. But I've got with my team, I've consistently broken world records over the years because of our approach. And if I'd sat down as a university leaver and thought, am I the best qualified, most relevant person to break the circumnavigation world record? Of course not. I've never been in a club. I've never had a coach. I've never, I just spot, I was inspired by Ellen MacArthur sailing around the world. I wondered why the cycle around the world wasn't the most coveted professional record in endurance cycling. It's the world. I spotted an I, I spotted an opportunity, and I went for it. You know, I backed myself. I found a small team, and I did it. And I think if you're told by your peers that you're not the best, so don't bother trying. You know, I am not the best. I'm not even nearly the best at what I do, but I've got a process, and I back myself. And I think turning up, and I think. I said at the start, you know, I'm 38 now. So I guess that's 25 years since I was a 12-year-old kid-ish, 25 plus years. And the nobody else should be able to step into my shoes and see the world the way I see it. But if I was to meet anyone 
who's been ambitious at their career for 10, 20, 30 years, you're not the sum total of your knowledge. It's not about what you learned at school or university, which might or might not help you. It's about how you see the world. It's about how you see the world differently from others. Uh, it's about the intensity you bring to the world. It's about your resourcefulness. It's about the way you communicate. So that's that's a very different thing. And I, I say to people all the time, because people ask me to come in and do keynotes, and I, the first thing I say is, I couldn't do your job, and you couldn't do my job. Not because I couldn't sit in a classroom and learn the knowledge you've got, but just because I've got experience. Like, quite rightly so, having cycled around the world twice, I don't think that's quite as hard as somebody who's not done it before. So I think that perspective piece is, is, is as important. Education is hugely important, but it means nothing if you don't put people in the driving seat and go, do you know what? How do you see the world? My, my man crush has only been uh, enlightened even more <laughs> or fueled even more by this hour. You studied politics. Any intention of becoming a politician? No, none at all. Oh, Absolutely none I'm, at all. I'm gutted by that answer. <laughs> I, th I think it's time we followed the the Beaumont party. <laughs> nah, I know, I know, I know my limitations. I know what I'm good at, and I know what I'm not good at. I'm not sure I could take that level of uh, public criticism. Um, <laughs> but uh, good on them. Public service is an amazing thing. But I think I can, I think I can have a positive impact in the world in my own way without joining up to a party. Yeah, uh, I totally agree, Mark. I, I could keep going but you've got other places to be and and i've taken up a huge amount of that important time of yours so thank you i asked guests to finish with a sentence uh finish off so mark beaumont for you happiness is a life on two wheels love it absolutely love it Mark, thank you very, very much. I know you're off to see the police, so I hope I get to see you again. <laughs> <laughs> if not, come around with some bail. You know where I'll be. <laughs> thank you very much, Mark. All the very best. Cheers, Look buddy. Seeing you soon. Bye-bye. Uh, I have a big silly grin on my face because that was a magnificent hour to spend in the company of greatness. That is just joy so many messages and that's not that was never the purpose of this podcast to give messages each guest has been unique and Mark Beaumont has been unique and he has delivered messages I think without even trying it's just his perspective and we come back again build relationships share experiences and make memories and those are bits of language he used but so so much goodness in there and I think my mum will be happy with that because she got a mention and it wasn't about me laughing too much and not being able to hear what the guest is saying if you've enjoyed this please go to apple spotify or acast uh, please subscribe leave us a review if you've enjoyed it and if you didn't remember if you've got nothing nice to say then it's better to say nothing at all i have absolutely loved it and i look forward to speaking to you again with another guest my name is bruce Aitchison from the happiness is podcast and my happiness is egg shaped hello i'm mayhem hello i'm chaos and, and our happiness is egg shaped happiness is egg shaped and loves a circle with no end no, I was talking about this last night and he said happiness is egg-shaped.
Happiness is egg-shaped and loves a circle with no end. Hi, my name is Sean Phelan and I am the producer of the Happiness Is podcast. But if you want a podcast that focuses on the grassroots side of rugby, check out my show, The Philly Boots Rugby Roundtable, where we discuss the biggest issues in grassroots rugby in the UK with a different panel of players, coaches and volunteers each week. Listen now at all your favourite podcast providers, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify, or visit fybrugby.com. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.